hello, friends from St. Mark's. It's uh, good to be at least in your church building. Sorry, you're not here face to face with me, but uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you again, uh, God willing, before too long next year, hopefully. Continuing your sermon series on Matthew and Jesus' parables, and uh, let me pray as we come to God's word. Gracious God, speak to us from your word, write it in our hearts that we may pursue the treasure that is greatest of all. For Jesus' sake, amen. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So said Jesus back in Matthew chapter 4. And that's a, a developing theme through Matthew's gospel. He went through Galilee, we're told later in chapter 4, preaching the good news of the kingdom. So the theme of the kingdom is the centerpiece of Jesus' preaching and teaching, at least first in Galilee in the north of the Promised Land. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which follows in chapter 5 of Matthew, blessed are various categories of people, theirs is the kingdom of heaven in a couple of cases. He taught the need for righteousness to enter the kingdom of heaven later in chapter 5. He prays and teaches us to pray, Your kingdom come in chapter 6. He warns that not everyone who calls on the Lord will enter uh, the kingdom in chapter 7. He marvels at Gentile faith, that even Gentiles maybe belong to the kingdom in chapter 8. And then a whole range of miracles that were reported back to John the Baptist to show that the kingdom is at hand and is beginning with Jesus in chapter 11. The kingdom, in fact, forcefully advancing in chapter 11. And the secrets of the kingdom given earlier in this chapter 13 to the disciples. So this kingdom theme at hand, developing, growing. And yet at this point, a motley group of disciples facing the opposition of Jewish authorities that is gradually being ramped up against Jesus in particular. How does this look to be a kingdom? What really is advancing and growing? What what really is the sign? There are are some isolated miracles and there's bits and pieces of Jesus' teaching. But the crowds are confused. The religious authorities are opposed. Roman rule doesn't look as though it's going to be challenged in any way. It doesn't quite look right. And so this series of parables beginning earlier in chapter 13 is addressing, it seems, some of those concerns and issues that the disciples in particular would be thinking and perhaps raising with Jesus as well. You see, for for Jews of Jesus' day, to anticipate the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, however you call it, would be that the rules of the Romans would be overthrown, the Jews would be in charge, the extended boundaries of the promised land would be regained in effect. But this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is speaking doesn't seem to match that sort of expectation. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Because there are still evildoers around. So Jesus gave an earlier parable just before this about the weeds. And then this little group, tiny group of disciples. How can this be the kingdom? Well, it's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast. It's going to start small and grow. Jesus taught in an earlier parable to this. But is it really worth it? When you see so little around, is this kingdom of heaven really worthwhile? 
And that's what today's parables address. A couple of years ago in 2018, an eight-year-old Swedish girl was swimming in a lake in Sweden and comes out of the lake holding what turned out to be a 1,500-year-old sword, an ancient sword. It's not quite treasure, but it was certainly an astonishing thing to pull out of a lake when you're just going for a casual swim. And I'm not particularly sure that she became rich. But go back 30 years, nearly, in Suffolk in England, for example, a famous case, a a, a farmer lost a hammer. And so he borrows his friend's medical metal detector, goes back out into his field and waves around the metal detector to try and find the hammer. And what he finds is this hoard of thousands of Roman coins, jewellery, statues worth six million US dollars, which he shared very generously, I think, with his friend who owned the metal detector. Or go back even further, a Greek farmer just happened to be looking for some white stones in his field to pick up and put to make a wall in his field on an island of Greece in 1820. And what does he find? What we now call the Venus de Milo, the famous statue now in the Louvre in Paris, the statue without the arm, of course, the arm's never been found. Treasure that's found unexpectedly. It it meets every sort of schoolboy, schoolgirl, I guess, as well, fantasy. You think of the, 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 uh, the glamour of Treasure Island, for example, or, or, or boys and girls books, teenage books, or children's books that pick up that sort of theme of treasure, finding treasure, treasure islands, and so on. The eyes glaze, they glow imagining the glistening gold. Well, some lucky people, of course, do find treasure by accident, such as the examples I give you. And I guess that's why, sadly and tragically, too often, people are so fixated and obsessed or even addicted to the lottery or other forms of gambling, that somehow suddenly they might find treasure through the winning Tats Lotto ticket. I remember as children, there was the saying that went around probably still today, finders, keepers. The rabbis of Jesus' day agreed with that. If you find scattered money, it belongs to the finder, was one of their sort of legal decrees, if you like. Not sure what would happen if the treasure was not scattered. I think the idea of finding scattered treasure would be that you find it sort of lying in the street or something. And I always think, what do I do if I picked up, as I did a few weeks ago in the footpath, a $10 note? There's nobody obviously around me. I can hardly put a sign up saying, did anyone lose $10? Come and tell me. I'm sure that people would be that trustworthy. In the end, I keep it and use it for good causes. But what if you found treasure in someone else's land, not just on the public footpath? What if you found treasure in somebody else's field, for example, going back to a a rural agricultural sort of image? Well, don't tell anyone. Keep it buried. And then do everything you can to buy the thing so that you buy this unknown hidden treasure with it. We know even today, of course, that people often buy land with hidden knowledge, perhaps of changing zoning permits and things like that. They buy a a, a piece of land thinking, well, the public doesn't know that it's about to be rezoned. I can develop it, make a mint out of it. 
have seen issues of corruption in Casey Council, for example, in recent years that are similar to that sort of issue. So if you find great treasure in someone's field, why wouldn't you try and do everything you could to buy that field and thus the treasure? And so Jesus uses that as a brief one verse only parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid, that is kept hidden. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That is, it would be wrong to take that treasure because somebody might say, hey, that was mine. But buying the field establishes the ownership of that treasure. It it looks slightly unethical, of course, but Jesus is not wanting to highlight that. The point is the joy of finding such great treasure is worth everything you sell in order to get that treasure. And that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's treasure. It's worth everything. It is fantastic. It brings joy. It is worth, it's greater than uh, the worth of any ancient hoard of statues or coins or an ancient sword or a lottery ticket. It is worth more than any treasure island. It is worth pursuing. It is worth getting at any cost. That's what this parable is saying to us. And and I suspect for us, I mean, Jesus is speaking this to disciples for whom this is a slightly new concept. But I wonder if for us sometimes we've forgotten the value, the joyful value of the kingdom of heaven for us. I, I suspect that in our Western world, despite the pandemic, the lockdown and the deprivations we've had for many months, I, I suspect that life is still good. Australia is a relatively comfortable place, certainly in world standards. And when when this world is so good and when we're encouraged to invest in this world with our superannuation, with buying property and so on, getting good interest rates, well, that's hard to do. We sometimes forget the, the, the far surpassing value of the kingdom of heaven, that it's worth much, much more than any other worldly investment that we could face today. Well, that girl found the sword by accident in the lake in Sweden. She wasn't even looking for a sword, of course. She was just going for a swim. Some people search for treasure. They get out their metal detectors and they comb the beaches or the fields or the footpaths or whatever it might be. They go looking for it. Sometimes shows like uh, Antiques Roadshow or things like that show people who are hoping that somehow in their attics or basements of their house, some old grandmama's relic of some sort is actually a treasure that's worth millions. People hunting for treasure. And traders, of course, and merchants, they go scouring for treasure. I remember when I was vicar of Doncaster and we have our annual fair or fete and queuing up before it opened on a Friday late afternoon were the traders, the merchants, and they went straight for the bric-a-bac and the books. They knew what to look for. They were looking for books that we might sell for a dollar that they could then go and sell for $50 or whatever it might be. People who are scouring, trading the merchants for treasure. 
Now, in Jesus' day, actually, merchants were not highly regarded. For us, it's a respectable thing. We think of merchandise and, and so on. But Jesus, in Jesus' day, a merchant was, was a little bit of a, a scoundrel often. And so by speaking now in the next parable about a merchant, he's actually being a slightly provocative. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. A merchant? Really? One of them? But now it's talking about somebody searching for treasure. The first parable was the accident. The person just happens to find. But now someone searching. And he's looking for pearls. Pearls of great value. Pearls of highest value. Pearls were highly, supremely rated in the ancient world for their value, as well as, of course, therefore, their beauty. Greater than rubies. Apparently Cleopatra, lover of Mark Antony, rated pearls as the most valuable and beautiful of any product at all. Well, whether by accident it is found or whether by deliberate pursuit it is found, The kingdom of heaven is supremely precious and valuable. So the merchant is in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. One level, that looks a touch foolish. If you absolutely sell everything, you can hardly live from one pearl uh, unless he's then going to try and sell it for a profit. But the logic is not We shouldn't be forcing the logic of parables and metaphors and similes. The kingdom of heaven is worth it more than even one great, beautiful, precious, valuable pearl. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything that you have. That's what this is saying to us. Both these parables, whether you find it by accident or whether you find it by deliberate pursuit, kingdom of heaven is worth everything. kingdom of heaven is worth more than everything. As the Old Testament puts it, more to be desired than gold, even fine gold, sweeter than honey, full of great reward. Now, these parables are not saying particularly that we need to make a sacrifice, that we need to sell everything literally for the kingdom's sake. Nor are they saying, in effect, that we should be making an investment to to buy a field or or, or something to get a kingdom. But what they are saying, simply, is that the kingdom is worth everything. More valuable, more important than anything else in this world, in this universe. Because Jesus, the king, is worth everything. Jesus doesn't draw that out here in the parable. The parable simply sits there to provoke and stir up your thinking. But as we understand Jesus, we realize that the kingdom of heaven's value is entirely because of the king and the value that he brings in conquering death, forgiving sin, and bringing eternal life and entry into the kingdom by grace. And it's because Jesus, the king, is worth everything, that the kingdom is worth everything. Nothing else satisfies entirely. Only being part of the kingdom under the King Jesus will satisfy us for eternity. Nothing else lasts perfectly for eternity. Presumably not even a pearl. Not sure how they last. And no other ideology or philosophy, no other religion or religious system will ever deliver the satisfaction, the value, the preciousness 
that the kingdom or the gospel of Jesus brings us. You think about it, to be ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, to be accepted as sinners by God's abundant grace, to be clothed in righteousness divine, to come empty-handed yet clinging to the cross, to come to the only one who conquers the grave, that is Jesus, to come to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. That's worth every cent, every sense, every second of our life. It's worth everything. He alone is the strength and shield. He alone can satisfy. He alone is the real joy giver. He alone is the apple of our eye. He alone is worth more than silver and gold. Jesus doesn't deliberately draw attention to himself within the parable of these just three verses, but that's where they lead us to. As we follow Jesus, the king of the kingdom of heaven, to his glorious cross and even greater empty tomb. For us then, do not be distracted by earthly temptations of value and preciousness or of beauty. Do not despair at the worldly pressures that we face even now, but pursue the greatest treasure, the pearl of great price, Kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls of great price. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Brothers and sisters, this kingdom is worth everything. Our joy should be because we're members of this kingdom by grace because of the king's grace to us. Never forget the value and the joy of this kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, We thank you for entry into this glorious kingdom by grace through Jesus the King. And we pray that you'll remind us, help us never to forget the value, the glory, the joy, the preciousness of this great kingdom. For we ask it in Jesus' name.